Hi friends, this is episode 74 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hey everybody, thanks so much for joining back with us again. You are about to go through probably the most controversial chapter in the entire letter to the Ephesians. And there's a good reason why. You're going to read this section of Scripture in a way unlike you've ever read it before because you're going to see it with the eyes and the ears that would have seen it and heard it back in the day. One of the things that we forget is where Christianity came from and where we came from and how we connected to Christianity. And in doing so, you're going you're about to see one of the most beautiful huge statements of the love of God for mankind and I can't wait for you to hear about it. So thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome to the Bible Lab. You guys ready? Good, here we go. Number one, I work harder than most of the people in this room. Uh, Yeah, am I starting fights today or what? Yeah, so what it looks like, what it looks like to me is back there toward the back. That's that's the hard working, that's the hard working section. The rest of you are pretty lazy, except for Randy sitting over here. Kyle's a hard worker. Yeah, some of you work really, really hard. And then the rest of you are like, are you kidding? I'm retired. I don't work at all. I play all day. Number two, my motives are misunderstood more often than I think they should be. My motives are misunderstood more often than I think they should be. And I'm seeing all the people who are still working saying yes, and the retired people are still saying no. They're like, who cares? I I don't even have to go to the office anymore. Who cares about my motives? Awesome. But it did look like the majority of you, barely, about 55% of the crowd is saying yes. And it looked like uh, there was about 10% that said maybe, and the rest were saying no. Number three, let me me go back. The reason why we're talking about motives is because we're going to talk about God's motives today. And probably one of the most misunderstood individuals in history in the area of motives is God. I mean, you can't. You can't expose yourself to the opinion of the world for very long without seeing God is misunderstood in his motives, I think, more often than he's understood. I was just scrolling through two days ago through Facebook, and an individual who used to be part of my youth, that is like 20 years ago, so I take no responsibility. Um, But one of the members of my youth group had reposted this post, they had a, a photo of God in an angry stance, and then all this listing of how can people believe in God if he's this bloodthirsty guy that only wants to kill his son and have blood and hates gays and hates this and hates that. And I just looked at that and I was like, man, I wish you came to the Bible lab. Because like in four sessions, we would clear up this horrible post. You'd never post that. Because you'd understand, you just misunderstood all these things that perhaps have been presented to you that God is this way. You just, didn't, you just didn't look at the culture, the context, the language of Scripture to see 
No, that's impossible to present God that way. That's not the God of Scripture. That's the God of some really poor sermons, but it's not the God of really good theology. And so God is probably more misunderstood in the area of motives than any other individual in all of time. And we're going to take a look today as we read through Ephesians chapter 3. One of the motives that his own people, his own church, wow, mood light, yeah, get out your pens. No. (laughs) Number three, in many ways, I still feel like I'm trying to fit in and feel comfortable with the people around me. All right, this is the mix I expected. Yes, we have about 55% yes, about 44% no, and 1% maybes. Uh, This is what I expect, because regardless of your age, it's funny, you never feel older, really. You just feel like everyone's getting younger around you, because we still struggle with the same stuff. We struggle with acceptance, and if it's not acceptance between our high school classmates, now it's acceptance between our coworkers, and if it's not that, it's acceptance of our children, and now it's acceptance of not only our grandchildren, but the grandchildren's friends, and it just goes on and on, of trying to, trying to feel truly accepted and, and comfortable within the, the, the people that are around us. It, it's, a, it's a common and seemingly constant struggle. Number four, God has made all of his plan of salvation known to us. God has made all of his plan of salvation known to us. Oh, this is interesting. I am seeing about 60%, 65% yes. Yeah, 65% yes. I'm seeing about 25% no and 10% maybe. This is going to be a tough one because what we're going to talk about today, and those of you who are in the email list, you, you saw, we're going to talk about God's mysterious plan that God kept secrets for thousands of years. And these secrets are going to surprise you. Why would God keep that a secret? We have to talk about this today. Because the question of why God kept what we're going to talk about a secret really is astounding. And it really has a lot to do with us even today with how we see God's view of mankind and his plan of salvation. Because even today we make the same mistake that they made over 2,000 years ago. And so we've got to see what the Bible really says about God's secret plan that he reveals over time, because there's a very real possibility. We call it progressive revelation, but there's a very real possibility that God still has some secrets that he's that he's dealing out today that he wants us to know. And number five, God wants us to approach him with reverent fear and trembling as we realize our sinful state of being. I did expect a mix, and I am seeing it a bit, but I'm seeing 75% no. I'm seeing about 15% yes and 10% maybe. I think that's correct math, but I'm just throwing out numbers. Um, So yeah, I grew up in a church that says, look, come before the Lord with fear and trembling. In fact, we have this Boy Scout-like organization within the Adventist church called Pathfinders. Anybody here was a Pathfinder? Uh, Let me ask it this way. Anybody here was not a Pathfinder? Because I saw like every hand go up. Okay. Uh, Those six people have no idea how to tie knots. Okay. Uh But we do. Um, (laughs) Even part of the Pathfinder pledge and and law, uh, I believe it was in the law, walk softly in the sanctuary. 
right? Walk softly in the sanctuary was one of the lines that you had to, had to memorize. Um, so I grew up in a church, maybe like you, that you come with fear and trembling, reverence, fear and trembling. And yet the scripture today is going to say, no, 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 no. I want you to come before me in a different way, which is quite different. With boldness, with confidence. I don't know about you, but that's going to be one of the most difficult things for me when I see God face to face in heaven after the resurrection is walking boldly and confidently in front of God. I'm going to be a bumbling fool, yes, even worse than I am in front of Bible labs. So let's ask a question here before we dive into Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 13. Why do you think that God allows himself to be misunderstood for long periods of time? Why do you think that God allows himself to be misunderstood over long periods of time? Because God can reveal everything now, right? In fact, Jesus, after three and a half years being his disciples' teacher, living with them 24 hours a day for three and a half years, he gets to the end of his ministry and says, I've got so much more to share with you. You guys just can't deal with it. You can't handle it. I got so much more. And when you look at John's rep, uh, representation of what happened during those three and a half years of ministry alongside Jesus, John represents that time as, if I were to write down every, everything that I learned from Jesus, it would fill all the libraries of the world. It was John's conclusion at the end of being with Jesus three and a half years. So... With that in mind, you're like, okay, God has a lot more to share, but why does, he, why does he seem to take so long and not give what seems to be pertinent information at the time people need it? Yes, sir. I would like to venture the thought that perhaps God is testing us on our faith, perhaps, to see if we really trust him, yeah. even if we don't understand all his plans. Yeah. I can think, for example, Paul who had a thorn in the flesh, and he couldn't understand why God didn't heal him. Mm-hmm. And the response God gave him was, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. Yeah. So I wonder if he's not testing us in some way to see if we'll still maintain faith. And some of the Bible prophets, too, like Daniel, he was troubled by the visions, too, and he couldn't understand some of the visions. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why didn't God make himself understood right away, you know? I mean, those are questions that finite mortals cannot always answer for their own, but just go yeah. on faith. Yeah, I, I, I love your comment, and I, I love the direction you're coming from because it, it causes us to ask the, the question that no one ever asked me when I was growing up and growing in my faith. How much does God know? He knows the end from the beginning. Everything, yeah, he knows everything. Okay, how much does God know about me? Okay, so before God puts me in a test, Does he know what I'm going to choose? So why would he put me through a test? Do you see the problem here? Okay. Because if God is putting something here to see if I will follow him and trust him or not, God does not know everything. So, So it's not, exactly, Terry, it's not for God. So tests are never for God. That's why in Scripture, 19 times, there's only one time that the word test is not this root word in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. When you read test, 
the Hebrews and the Greeks would read refine. Because God does not test to see what you will do. God already knows what you will do. He knows everything. He knows you better than you. So when God tests you, he's refining you. What's the refining process? You take impure gold or precious metals. You put it through what? The fire. This is the part we don't want. God, don't put me through the fire. Put me through the party. Come on. Show me what success looks like. Give me blessings. Don't give me curses. But it's through the fire that the impurities get burned off. And the end result of the metal is you are more precious. Right? You're precious metal now. Because going through a refinement process makes you better. So the faith that you talk about. Remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The Greek concept of faith was not believing something you have no proof for. Faith is the same way that we would use the word trust today. And how is trust built? Through experience. So God puts you through experience to build your trust. So when you say faith, please be careful because a lot of your either your friends who don't go to church, your friends that have not understood this whole plan of, of God to save everyone, when you say faith, they hear you saying, believe in something, there's no proof, like believing in a fairy tale. And that's why they look at you kind of funny. Like, okay, whatever helps you out, whatever works for you. It's also why we call it witnessing. Because in a court of law, you cannot be a witness to a crime you did not witness. And so the only thing I'm telling you from a theologian's perspective, I don't want any of you to witness something you have not experienced. So do not witness unless you've experienced. And if you have not experienced, put yourself in the intersection where things are happening spiritually, get your experience, and then go tell people what you saw and what you heard. Isn't that what Jesus told John's disciples? When he says, are you the one? He said, well, Go and tell people what you, saw, what you see in here. What's happening? That's witnessing. Witnessing is not sharing doctrine. And I know some people would take great offense at that, and I don't care. Because we can share doctrine all we want and never witness the glory of God. Because doctrine is never meant to define who you are. Doctrine is only meant to define who he is. And once your doctrine is spoken of in that way, that's a witness. Because you can't speak about your doctrine without speaking of your experience. And once your experience is infused within your doctrine, you have a witness. If you have no experience other than, well, I, I've been convinced that this is more correct than the church across the street, you still have no witness. Because you're only witnessing for the doctrine. You're not witnessing for God. So thank you for bringing that up. And sorry I went on this rant. Okay, Ryan, purple microphone. It says, why, why do we think that God allows himself to be missed for long periods of time? And I think so many times we're focused on, like, we, we look at, like, our sphere that we've been alive and yeah. so short, and even the people we know, but we, we look at, like, this long, like, it's been going on for millennia, and these events that have taken place, we haven't really, um, we, we, we don't really identify with how they have and what they've affected the human race, and not only the human race, but the angelic host. 
yeah. too. I mean, yeah. because when the earth was destroyed, mm -hmm. that had never happened before in the universe. Right. And so now you've got Noah's family who is really, they got a PTSD real bad because everything they know has been wiped out. And so again? they're going to pass this along to their kids. Yeah. This is what God's like. Yes. And, it, and it's skewed and distorted. Mm -hmm. and, and no matter how much revelation you have, you still have this idea that this is what's taking place. So over all these centuries, all these things that have gone on, it's the human race has been changing. And now we live in the best time that the human race has ever experienced. We've got more food. We've got health care. We've got clean water. I mean, even for more those viruses. Who are, we have, yeah. Well, the yeah. people, but but we have a cure. You know, before yeah, exactly. what would we be doing? <laughs> We'd be sacrificing virgins to stop this thing, yeah, right? Exactly. Um, but now we have we have science. We have all yeah. these things. So we're at a most enlightened time yeah. ever. And so God reveals Himself because we're more ready for it. Okay. Because we're not even asking the questions. Uh, they, they weren't asking the questions back then. Like, could you have had the Bible lab back in, like, the 1960s? Could you have I, had the no. Bible lab in the... In the no. How about with the... Um, okay, go ahead. Yeah, in, in, in fact, uh, Graham Maxwell, who really started this revelation right here in this very amphitheater in the 80s, in the 80s that we're continuing this conversation, I, I listened back to the recordings of those conversations that they had, and they couldn't go as far as we're going now. I mean, not even close. And there were there are individuals that go to our church here that lost their elder position in a church in another state because they shared cassette tapes of the conversations that were happening here that don't go even close to as far as we were going. Yeah. yeah. So so God is that's um, in the eighties. Why is he why is he wait, why is he allowing such to be understood? Because we've got to catch up sometimes. Right. I right. Think. It reminds me of uh, when the, when the students read the teacher appears. Uh, that now I don't know was the red or the green microphone now. Red next, yes. So I relate this question of God being misunderstood to a father and a child. So my, my son will sometimes, I'll ask him to do something, and I'll be wanting to explain how I need him to do this and how yeah. it should go. Yeah. And he's not hearing me. Yeah, he didn't want the explanation. He didn't want the explanation at yeah. all. He's just wanting to get it done. Right. So then we come back, and I come back and say, oh, oh. This isn't how we, right. how I wanted you to do this. And yeah. I think with us, God wants to share with us. You know, Jesus said, I have much more to share with you. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is we're just not ready yeah. or willing to hear it from his perspective. Yeah. And, but it doesn't change the fact that the love is there. The love yeah. is him. I, you just say, okay, I'll give it time. Let's give it some more time. Mm -hmm. Maybe some more growth, and then yeah. you'll be ready to hear it then. I, I love that it, because it begs the question, so what do we need to do today? to put ourselves in a, in, a, in a state of expectation that, okay, God has more. Um, because one of the most dangerous things we can do is to think God has taught us all truth for all time. He still has more. We're, there's still so much more as we look at Scripture that today, more than ever, we can listen to God say, this is who I want you to understand I am. And that's what I want you to do, to put yourself in a position to where I can protect you from an enemy who wants to kill you. Exactly. I love that. All right. Green microphone over here. Yes. Sharon. Yeah. I, I started to ask you a question, and I think I may be out of sync by now. You didn't say we are more precious when we've been refined, did you? 
not in God's sight, but I think not in, in mankind's sight. sight. Yeah. I think in mankind's sight, you you are seen as more valuable. But in God's sight, just like we spoke yeah. about, yeah. Uh, I think it was two weeks ago, where agape comes from. It doesn't come from God's heart being a more loving heart than yours. It comes from him looking at you and seeing the preciousness of you and a preciousness so much that it's self, self-sacrificial. So no, from a standpoint, I, 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 I would just add this. Our greatest enemy in our spiritual walk is actually not the devil. It's yourself and your self-perspective because it is... It is your personal view of yourself that allows the devil to come in and discourage you and say you're worthless, you're not precious, you're a mess. I know what you do and no one else sees it. I hear what you say. I, I know you are a mess. And so the devil is able to use that, but it is your personal view of yourself that is your, that is your worst enemy when it comes to your spiritual walk. God understands that, and so when he takes you through and shows you what you're really made of, it's not primarily to show the people around you. It's primarily to show you what you're made of and the preciousness and, and the gifting of God within you. Then that strengthens you so that the enemy can't come in and discourage you as easily. That's what I was going to say. I yeah. think one of the most interesting things to look up when you're thinking about this, is what went into the making of a sword. Yes. It was proved over and over yeah. again. Yeah. And the thing is, when God sends us more tests, our habitual response becomes our character. Yeah. And yeah. so it's the more tests, the better, yeah. really, in yeah. a way. Otherwise, if you don't, in sword making, the first hit, the sword, the sword shatters. Exactly. Let's take a look at the text here, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 through 13. I have it on your study guide in the New Living Translation. I've bold-faced some, fra- bold-faced some phrases um, that I think are interesting to you. We'll get to as many as we can here in, uh, in the rest of the conversation. It reads, when I think of all this, which means everything that we've just covered in the first four sessions, when he thinks of all of this, which is God's incredible, rich, love for you and his plan for you. It says, when I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, uh, have written you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations. But now, by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. Verse 6. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. And both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Verse 8, though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege 
of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you. You should feel honored. So let's start with the beginning and the ending of this section. A prisoner. Paul is writing this from prison in Rome under the authority of the emperor whose name was Nero. Now, normally, if you're imprisoned by the emperor Nero, the consistent uh, way that you would write this is, I'm a prisoner of the emperor Nero. And Paul wanted these Gentiles, that's the audience he's speaking to here, he wants them to understand, no, 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 no. There's a little irony in what I'm saying here. I'm not a prisoner because of Nero. I'm a prisoner because this is where Jesus Christ wants me. This is where I can do the most good. So that's why he ends it. Hey, don't feel bad for me. Feel honored. Because I'm doing this for you. you feel honored because Jesus Christ himself placed me here. Going back to why do trials come? Is this a test for Paul to see whether he'll be faithful or not? No, God knows he'll be faithful. Paul gets it. He understands this whole, this whole mode of faith. So he's not even saying, well, God is testing me here. I'm in prison. So God is seeing whether I'll remain faithful. He says, no, God placed me here. I'm not a prisoner of Nero. I'm a prisoner of God. And remember, Paul has experience of being a prisoner. And when God wants to do a jailbreak and bust you out of prison, God will bust you out of prison. No prison can hold a faithful man of God. And so what confidence would you have being a prisoner of Nero? <laughs> yeah, right. I'm here as long as, as, long as God wants me here. I'll, I'll be out whenever God wants me out. So this confidence that Paul has, he says, ah, I'm not a prisoner of Nero. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So it's a positive thing. Then he goes on. He says, I want you to understand something here. In verse 2, he says, he talks about God extending his grace to you Gentiles. Now, we read this today, and we snore. Okay, yeah, God gave grace to the Gentiles as well. But you have to understand, chapter 3 is probably the most controversial chapter in the entire letter to the Ephesians. People would have argued over chapter 3, and we can sleep through it. The reason why is up to this time. The Jews had been very clear about God's plan. God had chosen a special people from the time of Abraham, and you would trace your lineage back to Abraham to prove that you're part of God's chosen people that would be saved. Now, I have a question uh, for this group. Is, is anyone here from Hebrew heritage? Anybody here a Jew? Looking, I'm looking. Anybody Jew-ish? No? Okay. <laughs> You're all Gentiles. You don't get it. This section of the Bible is the best news 
that God through his Holy Spirit could ever share with humanity and specifically with the people in this room. None of you, none of you before God revealed this mysterious plan would have any hope whatsoever of salvation in heaven. Because the Jews were waiting for what? Messiah. And Messiah came and he died the death that the Jews for generations, for thousands of years, they had sacrificed on the altar sacrifices to forgive them of their sins, to keep them in right relationship with God. And if you did that as a good Jew, you then had hope that there would be salvation for you because you're in right relationship. So you've done that for more generations than you can count. Your grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents have been doing this. You, you've been able to mark your lineage. I am truly Jewish. God chose a special people because the rest of the world were, were ignoring him and going their own way and being confused, religiously and spiritually confused. But there was only one group of people that followed the one true God, and that was the Jews. His Messiah came, even though the church didn't recognize him, he came and he died for his special people. And so the church in Ephesus has all these Jews who are saying, whoa, we didn't fully recognize it when he was here, but now we fully recognize Jesus Christ truly did fulfill all of the Old Testament prophecies. Our Messiah came, and there were surprises. We thought he was going to come as a soldier warrior and get rid of the Romans. Instead, he came, and he died, and he saved all the Jews in that way. He freed them from slavery to sin, not freed them from slavery to Rome. And so while the Jews are processing that the Messiah came and he died for me and now I have salvation through Jesus Christ by, by acknowledging this is the Messiah we were waiting for. And so the Jews had it all figured out. God's chosen people have salvation. And along comes Paul with new light. In fact, it's believed that the reason why Paul is in prison at this moment is not because the Romans arrested him. It's not because the Jews had him arrested. It's because Christians had Paul arrested for bringing Gentiles into the Jewish faith. Because remember, it's not considered Christianity in that day like it is in this day. We see Christianity as separate from Judaism today. In Paul's day, this was Judaism part two. The Messiah, the Jewish Messiah came. This was not something outside of the Jewish faith. This was something within the Jewish faith. It was the fulfillment of everything that generation after generation waited, had waited for. And Paul comes along, you read about in Acts 15, this big conversation about, you know, these Gentiles that have the same outpouring of the Holy Spirit as what happened to the apostles during Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit descends on this group of Gentiles. And so Paul and Barnabas come back to Jerusalem and say, what do we do? They're demonstrating the Holy Spirit. And James, the brother of Jesus, who did not believe in Jesus while Jesus was alive, only believed in Jesus after his death and resurrection because Jesus came back and appeared to his brother, an ultra-conservative Jew. You find that in 1 Corinthians. Jesus appeared to 500 people, including his brother James, who disliked him his entire life. 
So an ultra-conservative leader of the new Christian movement in Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas come to him and say, we see it in the Gentiles. And even though the mind of James previously was the Messiah came for the Jewish people, God's chosen people, the only people who are savable are Jewish by heritage and possibly some people who decide to, in a weird, Jews didn't believe in adoption, uh, adoption is a, is a Greek concept, but in some way give up their pagan ways and decide to become part of our Jewish. They might have some opportunity, but we can't tell them with full surety that they will, they will have heaven with us. So into this mindset where James is very closed-minded, very devout in his Jewish faith, Paul and Barnabas come back and say, we're seeing God work in the Gentiles. What do we do? And you read in Acts 15 where James says, uh, well, why don't we let the Holy Spirit decide? Because if the Holy Spirit's working there, well, then obviously that's God speaking. If the Holy Spirit's not working there, obviously God's not speaking there. Let's let the Holy Spirit show us the direction we're supposed to go. And so it frees Paul to open up this new mission to Gentiles. And because of that, it made a group of Christians, early Christians, very angry. So angry that they trumped up charges against Paul, had him arrested, and that's why he's in jail. Isn't it sad that sometimes your greatest opposition comes from within your church? than from without. That's why Paul's in prison, is because he's pro-Gentile. He rocked the boat way too much, and they decided to uh, try to get rid of him permanently. I want to go to the red mic right back over here. Yeah, Peter. I've always wondered if, um, because we're slowly getting to know God's character over the years, if God is giving us free will to see if we know him, see if we understand his blueprints. And then when we make the mistake, like, let's exclude all the Gentiles, he comes in and he says, well, that wasn't part of my plan. I'd like to guide you a little bit towards what I'd like to do. I was hoping you'd figure that out on your own. I was hoping you'd be open, agape, like I've showed you. Yeah but you didn't figure it out. So here's a little more guidance and direction. But I think that even though he will reveal that more and more over time, the plan never changes for being perfect for us. So it's always a perfect agape, full of love plan. Uh, but he always wants to see what we will do, what we will figure out on our own, yeah. uh, because he wants us to engage him first. I, I love that, Peter. I, I love it for two reasons. The first reason is you use the word blueprint twice, so you get 10 bonus points for that. Um, <laughs> but secondly, you're right. It's how, how do you parent? How do you build the strongest kids who are fully capable to not only survive but thrive in the real world? You don't do everything for them. You hear that, young moms? You don't do everything for them. As much as you think you're helping them by doing it for them, the school project needs to be done by your student, okay? It needs to be done by your student. And so you can be there. You can make sure that they don't cut their arm off on the saw. You can make sure they understand safety and, and certain things, but they need to do it. Isn't it amazing that the character of God is not a God of domineering control, but the picture of God consistently is the God who says, I want to see what you do. 
Yeah, I'm a creative guy. I'm the creator. But I want to see what your creativity comes up with. And whenever you get into a place of danger, that's when he steps in and says, oh, let me, let me help you here. Because my desire is that you don't suffer. I want you to grow, but I don't want you to, to not have any guidance. And so he steps in at times where guidance is necessary. But isn't it amazing that God allows us even today to be as creative as we want to be in discovering his character? It's one of the reasons why we can do things like the Bible lab. It's totally different from how someone else, a different group of people would come up with this. We're seeing that happen in the different Bible apps. But God allows us to say, but this works for us here. And I think that's one of the most amazing things about his character. Green microphone over here. Yeah, Rod. Wasn't it always God's plan that even with Israel, they were to reach out to other people? What happened? They stayed in. Yeah, I I love that, Rod, because most people miss the very first conversation that God has with Abraham, which is the beginning, where all the Jews came from, was Abraham, where God calls him out of Ur, which was the big, it's like New York City of the day. It's like the, the most advanced city of the day. And he calls him over to the desert lands of Canaan. And in doing so, he says, I will make you a blessing And when you say, okay, what's the blessing? Because whenever we say blessing, we're usually praying for financial blessing, right? So we equate today blessing with how much do I get? But what God says to Abraham is, I will will bless you. And my blessing is that you will bless all nations. Your nation will be a blessing to all nations around. It's not saying I will give you more stuff than all the nations around you. And yet that's how we tend to translate blessing. We pray for blessings not to give. We pray for blessings to get. And so that's that's why I think one of the main reasons why we look at what was the blessing God gave to Abraham is the same challenge that the Jews had in the day of Jesus and now in the day of Paul that we're reading about is they had construed the blessing to be we are the blessed people We're the ones that receive blessing instead of saying we're the blessed people who give the blessing, are the blessing to anyone who lives around us. And my question is, are we repeating the same thing today? And my answer is yes. Yes. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, If you hear a lot of televangelists, the reason why you would send in money is they'll quote Micah and say, if you send me $100, you'll... God will bless you with a thousand dollars. He'll bless you tenfold. So even your reason for giving is to get. And that's the greatest challenge, I think, with Christianity now is when you look at what we're doing with politics. Why is it great to have a huge in mass group of Christians? Well, we can move the polls. What do we get by being a huge group of powerful voters? And when you look at the life of Christ, who when he was asked about political matters, he was like, ah, render under Caesar what's Caesar, under God what's God. When Peter says, I don't have what I need to render under Caesar's, Jesus doesn't say, oh, hang on a second, what's that in your ear? And pull out a coin. He says, well, let me take you on an experience. And that experience will not only cover you, but it will also be a second coin to cover someone else. Because your experience of walking with Christ 
can't always be about you. It always has to be about how do I share? How do I give with others? It's not about getting your way. It's about making sure other people's dignity is upheld. And when they look at a huge group of Christians coming their way, they're like, "Uh oh, I'm going to be loved like I've never been loved before. Is that what people say when huge groups of Christians come toward them? Right, they do, right? Well, if it was the Bible lab, they would, I'm sure. Back here, uh, purple mic, Mike. Isn't Paul at this point saying, I'm an enlightened Jew. I have this new enlightenment. And you Gentiles are now enlightened Jews as well. I think that's his, his consistent goal, is progressive revelation, uh, which is uh, giving you enough en- enlightenment for the next step. And some, some theologians, I believe it's Eugene Peterson, use the analogy of the headlights on a car, and that as God guides you, it's driving in your car at night, and the headlights can see far enough to get you to that spot. And as you are walking, the headlights continue to give you further enlightenment to get through your entire journey. Um, you know, right now, our, our, our greatest challenge is we have all the answers. I don't know how many of you are as addicted to GPS as I am. Um, I don't go anywhere without GPS. In fact, I was just commenting um, because I was, at a, uh, I was at a broadcaster's convention in Florida. And I use GPS every time to get from the hotel to the convention and back. And I told my producer next to me, I I said, this is horrible. Because it used to be in the day, okay, I would use the map and I'd get there once, but I'd be watching for landmarks. And from then on, I knew the landmarks to turn. Now, if my GPS stops working, I can't leave the parking lot until I get that stupid thing to go. And then there's one more problem. Because the GPS starts, proceed to the highlighted route, and then your guidance will start. Is that not the most frustrating instruction? To, well, how do I get to your little blue line? I, I don't know how to get to the highlighted route. Half a tank of gas later. Can you please tell me how to get to the highlighted route? I have found 12 locations of salons that can highlight your routes. Would you like for me to take you there? No, I would not. Scripture goes on in verse 10, when you look here, it uses a phrase that I want you to pay close attention to. Let's just read verse 10 in its entirety here again. God's purpose in all this. And this is is interesting because to understand his character, you have to understand his purpose. He has a reason behind everything that he does. Paul says God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is packed. This is a very packed verse. But first of all, I want you to look at, okay, so what's God's plan? First of all, his plan is to help you understand how he displays his wisdom. And I love the fact that they use the word wisdom instead of his plan, okay, or his design or, you know, his desire. Because wisdom truly is ingrained in everything God is doing to try to help you understand his plan of salvation. And ultimately, how it describes how God displays his wisdom 
We usually try to define God as a God who, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. This is God's way. I don't know if you grew up in church of absolutes, but it's black and white. If there's any gray in it, it's, it's bad. It's gradualization. The bad is creeping into the good. Instead, this verse says, no, God's plan is displayed in this way. And it uses the term rich variety is how it's translated in New Living Translation. But that's the same term that in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's called the Septuagint. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it uses this word one time. You see it there in your paragraph. When is this, when is this rich variety phrase used? Yes, Joseph's coat, the coat of many colors, a variety of color, a wide variety of colors and variation. It's also used in, uh, in other Greek writings to, uh, to mean the words variegated or diversified. So this is telling you that God's wisdom is not in pinpoint clarity which we try to present. If you understand God, this is the one thing you have to know. Here it presents a much different perspective of God's character. That God says, oh, I've got a wide variety, a huge, wide variety of ways that I want you to connect with me. I don't have just one way. I don't have just one style. I don't have just one preference, which tells me that most of the things we argue about in church, God says, have you read Ephesians 3? I'm a God of many colors. I'm a God of many tastes. And so there's not one style. There's not one music style. There's not one preaching style. There's not one hairstyle, hat style, dressing style. There's not one. I'm a God whose plan is, has so much variety, you can only compare it to the stripes on Joseph's coat of many colors. And once you get that, you stop being so narrow-minded that you look at people who are different from you as threats to your worship. God says variety is not a threat to my worship, it's the wisdom of my worship. And if you want to be wise, Christians allow variety. Now more than ever, our country needs to hear this about God. When a country is saying Christians are like this, and anyone else is like that, and if you're this skin color, you're like this, and if you're this nationality, you're like that, now more than ever, people need to understand our God is a God who loves variety. And variety is not the threat. Variety is the strength. Diversity is the strength but by focusing on the differences between us instead of seeing us as all part of one coat, the robe of righteousness of God, we focus on the things that divide us instead of focusing on the things that make us a variegated, a variety, a multicolored plan of God's wisdom to make sure everyone, all nations on earth, hear that God is love. It also mentioned in this verse, unseen rulers and authorities. And I, I want us to finish with this. We've got two minutes. What do you think this means? God's plan is that you, his followers, demonstrate this openness to variety 
this variated plan of God to reach such a wide variety of individuals, Jews and non-Jews, which are all of us. We're all Gentiles here. How is it that God, in saying, okay, the Jews thought they were the only ones to get it all along. Surprise, Jews, you got to share. It made some Jews mad. It made other Jews so excited. And the Jews that got really excited warmly welcomed all of us Gentiles into their worship and gave us an experience that we never could have before. Because up until this moment of this revelation, this is why this section is so revolutionary within the world. Because for the first time, remember this whole thing of walking boldly and confidently? If you were a Gentile trying to enter into this new Judeo-Christian worship, you would have to come in humbly and unreassured that you had any hope of celebrating with the Judeo-Christian salvation because you're not part of us. Paul is saying you can now come boldly. And by coming in boldly, knowing you have salvation too, it's not just the Jews. This is a witness not just to the world, but to the heavenly beings. What do you think this is all about? What do you think that God is trying to say? My plan, ultimate plan, by revealing it now, was to show all the authorities, good and bad angels in heaven, in the heavenly realms. I wanted to demonstrate something to them. What do you think it's demonstrating? You can shout it out if you want. Just shout it out. What's it demonstrating? God really is what? Who God really is. Good. God's love. What else? His Spirit's working in us. Good. I, I say it again. The character of God. Good. What else? Because these are all right. Huh? Glory. Uh, unpack that for me. What do you mean by when you say Glory. Glory for all creation. Dante, that's, that's profound. And I'll tell you why. Because we can get ourselves into a feeling of we're so special. We're the people saved and everyone outside our, of our experience, everyone outside of our community, everyone outside the walls of our church is unsaved. And we start determining who's savable and who's non-savable. It's exactly the same as it was during the time of the writing of Ephesians chapter 3. The Jews were deciding who was savable and not savable. The Gentiles were, in their own mind, just like we talked about earlier, Sharon, were talking themselves out of heaven because they're not good enough. Unfortunately, they weren't born in the right nationality. And because of that, they had zero assurance that God loved them enough to bring them back to life in heaven. Now, my question is, by God revealing something that even the angels in heaven did not know, he kept it even from them. What, from their perspective, did they see about the character of God when God sends his Holy Spirit and says, okay, let's unpack the full, the full picture of salvation. And this full picture is not that I selected one people group and said, they're the only ones I care about. And now I'm revealing to you 
There is not a single human on earth I want to perish. In fact, it says he is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And all of heaven is looking down in this moment that God reveals for the first time in thousands of years, probably 4,000 plus years at that time. They think it's just about the people who are just doing things the right way. And now the now for uh, from the time of Abraham to the time of Christ, it's only about God's chosen people. And in this very moment, the angels realize that God says, I choose everybody. You thought my grace was only for the people that did what I wanted at the right time, the right place in the right family. And God's plan fully revealed at this time says, no, are you kidding? I'm saving everybody. You had a comment right here, man. Yeah, so everyone thinks this is your special child. Right, your special child. And then yeah. suddenly they're going, good God, it's everybody. Yes. He doesn't have a special yes. child because yes. they're all. I love that. I love that. Because I, I love uh, meeting parents of an only child while they're still a toddler. Because there is no other child as advanced as their child. Amazingly advanced. And then their child either goes to school or they have a second child. And then they realize, my kid's barely above average. In fact, my kid's kind of slow. We can't look at ourselves as the special people that God loves and we're the people God is saving. There are people in our community who are not part of our journey yet that God is working to bring into relationship with us so that he can be in relationship with them. Because God's plan his mysterious plan is still being unfolded that we as church people are no more special than the people who are unchurched people. It doesn't mean that we're not special. It means that God sees all of us as his children who are special to him. And he will save every single one who will give him a chance. I sure hope you'll give him a chance. I'm sure you've probably already decided that. But if not, now's the time for you to say, God, come into my heart and I give my, I give my life to you because I know that you've already chosen me. Next session, when we get together, I'm telling you, you're going to be so excited because as we look at the second half of Ephesians chapter 3, you're going to see that in order to understand just how massive, how wide, how deep, how high, how long God's love is for you, it actually requires superpowers. And where does that power come from? How can you have this power, this supernatural power to understand this love that is almost incomprehensible? We're going to talk about that in the next episode. Hope you come back. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab Podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at 
programs are recorded each Saturday at 10.30 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.